The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Happy Wednesday, everybody. You're watching Scorebox. Karen Cho, myself, Steve Sedgwick. We've got headlines for you as well. These are they. Right, so... U.S. consumer spending stays strong as retail sales see their biggest gains since January. But Fitch Ratings warns it may have to downgrade top-tier American banks, sending shares lower. Well, that didn't help the Dow, which broke a three-day winning streak, dipping more than 300 points, whilst the Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari warns it's too early to say the Fed is done raising rates. New home prices in China slip, heaping more pressure on policymakers to prop up the ailing property sector, while global investment banks slash their outlook for Chinese growth. Record wage growth fuels UK inflation expectations as the country braces for another hot print. We'll break the numbers at 7am London time and speak with the Exchequer Secretary to the UK Treasury, Gareth Davies, that is later that hour. It was quite a day on the street, uh, the markets digesting uh, data, this time the retail numbers, and they came through hotter than anticipated, jumping 0.7% in the month of July. That was a trigger for the 10-year yield to rise. The market's looking at the prospects for rates now. There was a big discussion playing out around uh, no hard landing, no soft landing, and in fact, uh, no landing at all. Uh, Steve Leesman, a colleague, was talking about this, whether we could in fact have a stronger story around the economy here, skirting around recession, which of course uh, puts that whole cost of capital debate back into the equation. The markets, well, we saw 360-odd points stripped off the Dow. We're down more than 1%. It was across the board where you saw the reaction of markets pulling back by more than 1% on the S&P 500, 1.1 down, or 51-odd points in the red. And over on the NASDAQ, uh, similar size declines, as you can see. It was uh, different areas of this market, not just technology that sold off, also the banks. A Fitch analyst has told CNBC that the ratings agency may have to downgrade a host of U.S. banks including JP Morgan, Bank of America and others after cutting its assessment to AA- minus in June. And this was the wash-up for the day, 3.2 off Bank of America. PacWest and the regional banks down 3.7% and KeyCorp shedding 3.4%. Uh, some of the pain points across the banks yesterday. To Treasuries, well, let's just take a look at that reaction that we saw across on the bond market. On the 10-year Treasury yield, we did soar as high as 4.26% uh, early in that trading session, one of the highest levels we've seen since 2008. So certainly a volatile session playing out on Treasuries. And you can see at the short end, 2.92, just eight basis points shy of that 5% mark. So investors, again, keeping watch on what we could witness on the Treasury market. Dollar crosses the high yield story, of course, putting Greenback back into contention. Morning story we are seeing. A little bit more strength filter through for sterling and euro. Don't forget, huge focus today on the CPI numbers out of the UK. The market uh, shaping up for more progress and bringing those rates lower on the CPI. And we'll get into that in just a bit. But 127.09 where we're perched on the trade. And you can see uh, morning session that's support for euro. Dollar on the back foot versus the Japanese currency. It is uh, seeing a slight uh, 
pop two tenths versus the Chinese currency to the oil trades. And again, as we continue to digest weakness out of China, it is not exactly destroying the oil trade. Brent at this point just shy of the 85 mark, 80 plus the handle on WTI, even with a slight dip this morning. Gold prices, just an element of caution around, as you can see. Um, we are sitting above the 1900 US dollar level to the Asian markets. And this is how it plays out. Downbeat across the board, Australia taking stock. We're down 1.4% of picking up on the Wall Street moves. In fact, uh, it's interesting to see on downbeat days across on the China market, we're not necessarily seeing those big moves for Japanese stocks in Australia, but you put into the mix uh, sell-off stateside, then these markets do actually ref also reflect some of that red ink. And you can see across on that Japanese stock market, 400 points down to one and a quarter percent. But we are certainly setting up for a big day. And I think overnight, Steve, there were question marks as to whether investors are well-placed if we are going to have higher for longer on rates. And perhaps we're not even done, was the question mark for some investors as to whether the rate story is still going to go high. All relevant questions. Good morning to you. How are you? Very well, thank We've you. got a very big rivalry today. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Yes. A rivalry you don't care at all about. Well, in fact, there's one rivalry you do care about that we've got today and another one you don't care about. It's win-win either way for me. Well, we've got two big bets on today. You know that, don't you? Yes, we do. We've yes. got one UK CPI and we'll show the viewers about that a little bit that later. That one I am more interested in. Which is what you care about. The other one, which is, again, I hasten to add, you're the only Australian who I know who doesn't give a damn about sport. And part and, Brit these days. And, and there's a massive play. battle <laughs> between the Lionesses and the Matildas a little bit later on. But we'll come to okay. that later on. So, okay. So here's a trick question or a rhetorical question or a question for all of you out there as well. What is driving the market at the moment? And the answer is lots of things. And the answer is always lots of things. And anyone who thinks it's just one thing is either myopic or, or not doing their research because there are many, many things driving the market at the moment. So let's just start doing our, our work into, first of all, the sectors in the US market as well. Which sectors are there out there to drive us higher? Uh, and that's, again, not a trick question. It's which ones can drive us higher. And when we look at a lot of the, the, the evidence in the, in the big individual sectors, for instance, the, the, the banks, the technology sector, the energy stocks as well. And you can make a very good argument for all of them to the upside. But equally so, at the moment, it seems that there's a little bit of a concern about the downside. Of course, the earnings season we knew was going to be tough for the energy sector because of the underlying uh, um, energy prices year on year. The technology sector has had such a magnificent run that even stocks like Nvidia are seeing great volatility at the top now uh, and some solid down days as well. The banking sector, we'll talk about that a lot more later on as well. Multiple challenges there from the likes of Fitch, Moody's, Kashkari, the general liquidity situation, which a lot of people have been talking about the draining uh, of liquidity because of QT and indeed the challenges brought about by higher rates. Again, we'll come to that as well. So what is going to keep them higher? Is it the consumer? And we saw yesterday the retail sales were jolly solid. They were really good. And yet, having said that, looking at the Home Depot numbers, and again, mm. we'll touch all of these points later in the show, there is definitely a challenge on the revenue front, even if not on the earnings front from a lot of these at the moment. So that's it on a sector basis. And I'll just go through the bigger factors as well, briefly as well. Inflation, you talked about that, could be higher for longer. As you say, Leesman talking about maybe no landing at all. Valuations, again, you could probably make a very good argument that overall valuations are just just historically too high. Having said that, there is an awful lot of stocks out there that don't have high valuations. Well, tight liquidity, I mentioned, tight regulation as well, sentiment, of course, and then the external factors such as China. So my answer to my own rhetorical question is there are an enormous number of mixes going in there at the moment. 
But for choice, I think those making a slightly more bearish case at the moment than those making a slightly more bullish case maybe have the whip hand. You point to some edginess in the market, and typically this settles in around September, but we're not even there yet. So perhaps we're a little, yeah. a little bit premature when it comes to the volatility. But you know, often we see good news is bad news, bad news is good news. I think all news at this point is creating some volatility. We are seeing strong reactions at this point in terms of what we had on uh, some of the uh, inflation expectations. That was interesting. Uh, Data Trek Research had a piece at yesterday saying effectively those uh, expectations are still above their pre-pandemic levels uh, of 2.5%. So there's still more moves here for the, uh, the expectations to come down to try and uh, ensure that there is at least some relief for Chair Powell and Co to be thinking about those expectations falling. So I think that was interesting, uh, aside from the, the retail data that we had yesterday, that we still haven't seen the consumer reset enough in their own mind about where inflation is going from here. Yeah, look, I think the Fed is doing it. They said earlier on, about two or three meetings ago, Jay Powell said, look, we think the eruptions in the banking sector might help us do some of the work on the interest rate front as well. Well, the other factor is, is of course, that there is tightening going on on a regular basis on QT as well, which I touched on earlier on. The trillion dollars already off the Fed balance sheet, the ongoing process as well. There is no doubt about it. I'm seeing more articles now than I have in months about draining liquidity. A lot of great foresight from some of our correspondents months and months and months ago about the ramifications of QT, uh, of the liquidity draw from the Fed uh, that is affecting the market and consumers and the ability to lend and what have you as well. So I think it's very, very interesting that, again, the Fed's pointed to the banks for doing some of its work in terms of tightening, or the Fed's doing it itself, but just in a different way. We're talking about volatility in the US markets, a fair amount of it coming from other international markets yesterday. And don't forget, we had more data out of China showing the headwinds from that mainland economy. And we had it from Russia, too, with a huge move on monetary policy. But let's get out to those Asian markets uh, under some pressure again today. JP Ong joins us with more on the market moves. JP. Karen, good morning. Again, not a pretty picture for Asian markets so far in today's session. Again, a number of, uh, you're right, there are a number of moving factors influencing the downtrend today. But I do want to focus on two particular um, factors that might be grinding the gears down for Asian markets. But first, a snapshot. You'll see here Asian stocks are, for the most part, uh, hitting their lowest levels in about 11 weeks. And from Tokyo to Taipei, from Sydney to Shanghai, it's all a shade of red, actually, that's pulling markets down. And again, a lot of this also influenced by that first factor that I want to look at. And that is worries about the Chinese economy slowing down even more. A day after that, that trifecta of macro data that showed slower than expected growth in retail sales industrial production in China, we did get new home sales, once again, data for the month of July, declining by about 0.2% on a month-of-month basis. And this is significant because it's the first time we saw home prices in China decline this year on a month-on-month basis. And once again, casting questions about the property sector in China. I want to get back to the real state sector of China in a little bit. But apart from that, we're also taking some cues actually and downward cues from the warning by Fitch that they may have to actually potentially downgrade dozens of U.S. banks because of some concerns about the banking sector there. And this is making itself felt actually with the banking index across the region from the topics bank stock price index, all the way to the Hang Seng mainland bank index, and also the ASX 200 financials down in Australia. They're all seeing declines and pullbacks and also some risk off sentiment among lenders here in Asia that's 
also feeling and saying that they are taking note of what Fitch has said about the U.S. banking sector any, and in now pricing in perhaps any uncertainties with regards to feedback between the U.S. banking sector and banks here in the Asia-Pacific region. Now, again, we want to go into the real estate index because there is one surprise um, the tra- uh, sector that's actually trading higher today, and that happens to be the Hang Seng Mainland Property Index. Yes, take a look at that. You'll see the Hang Seng Mainland Property Index trading higher despite that dismal new home sales uh, the, uh, the data that came out of mainland China. They're trading up by about 2.1%, also despite some of those concerns about the Chinese property sector. Take a look at Country Garden, actually trading 4.9% higher after hitting their all-time lows in recent sessions also. And overall, it might point to perhaps some of these investors here in Asia, perhaps hoping for more stimulus and support for the property sector and the Chinese economy. But again, it's a big if at the moment and a lot of hopeful wishing. And we'll see if actually uh, policymakers in China fulfill some of those hopes. Steve, Karen, back to you. JP, if there is anything more brilliant in terms of market summary, I haven't seen it yet. Thank you very much indeed, my friend. Right, several banks have cut their forecast for China's growth outlook. This after July's prints for industrial production and retail sales on Tuesday prompted the PBOC to slash key interest rates. JP Morgan says it now expects Chinese GDP to grow 4.8% this year down from 6.4% in May and 5% last month. Barclays trimmed its forecast by 40 basis points, now seeing Chinese growth at 4.5% this year. And Japan's Mizuho Group also pulled back its projections from 55 to 5%. Chinese new home prices fell in July, down 0.2% on the month and 0.1% on the year. Prices fell in 48 out of 70 cities surveyed. The figures heap more pressure on Beijing to prop up the country's real estate, which is uh, facing a slump in demand and investment. Several high-profile developers uh, have defaulted in the past few years. Right, uh, we're going to get to a, a brilliant guest in a moment, but I just want to, in fact, let's get straight to Winnie Wu, who is uh, the uh, chief China uh, equity strategist, uh, Bank of America uh, Global Research. Winnie, lovely to see you. Thank you for joining us. Now, the viewers just had a sneak preview of a chart that you probably won't be able to see where you are, but basically it is on the basis of an article, a brilliant article, I think, from John Byrne Murdoch, who works for the Financial Times. And he's pointing out something that I didn't know, and that is that actually since President Xi came to power, there is a vast number of economic indicators released by the Chinese authorities that have just disappeared from our gauge. There was something in the region of 80,000 pieces of data which one could garner uh, to look at how the Chinese economy is going on when President Xi came to power. And now there is just a fraction of that as well. And of course, I bring this up because they've now stopped releasing uh, data on youth uh, unemployment as well. Winnie, have we got a bigger problem here in, in ascertaining what's actually going on in China? Yeah, um, I think, you know, uh, people look at all kinds of data and uh, market tend to have a bias to look at the more scary data that can point to something like, you know, systematic risk or some big headline news and market tend to respond to that. Uh, for youth and employment, of course, it's important, very important in terms of talking about consumer confidence, potentially leading indicator. But on the other side, some of the regulator will say that, hey, it's not necessarily very accurate, given many young kids are still in college and it's for, should focus on study. And, uh, you know, maybe that uh, they are not necessarily the group that's paying for the major debt, right? They are not the debt barriers. So that's not really the focus of the policymaker. 
But nonetheless, from market perspective, we want to see more data, more transparency, more disclosure. And um, um, yeah, that's how you give people confidence. But Winnie, I'll just pursue it one more time before my colleague picks up as well. But look, nobody, no corporate, no country will stop releasing data, which is flattering to its economy. No corporate or country would ever take data away if it showed actually the picture is better than and you said people I'll use it as a metaphor for journalists because there are pesky journalists out here of which I am one who do look at some of the more startling data wherever I see it globally as well it's not a good look taking away data when it's looking really bad um yeah uh, I think markets certainly expect that they can do more to inject confidence um rather than deleting data back a chapter to uh, managing the, the data versus managing the message here. Winnie, I want to get to some of the property news out today because it is fascinating where we are seeing those sharp declines in some of the smaller cities now. As we were rolling through the data earlier this year, it was the large cities, uh, the tier one cities where we were seeing the drop in property prices. What's now extending out to some of those smaller areas? What are the features that are taking place here? Yeah, I, I think so currently we we are seeing a broad-based decline in confidence in the property market, right? I think, you know, 12 months ago, people are still having faith in tier one city, right? Thinking tier one city property price will be resilient. And if there are some like purchase restriction on tier one city, top tier cities, it will be considered as very strong stimulus and will be effective in driving demand. However, as overall situation, volume, price continue to weaken, confidence further weaken. I think now, you know, by now, even tier one cities, property price are no longer that resilient and people's, you know, property is no longer a desirable asset to own. And that's a problem. So by now, we think the property market uh, issues are more broad based. It's not only single city and it's not uh, only volume. There's weakness in price as well. And that's why we say, you know, to turn around the property market, we need a whole campaign of policy package, right? Not only, you know, 15 basis point mortgage rate cut, not only mortgage down payment but a total package and the package should be targeted at making property desirable again, Won't make people want to own property. Well, that's going to take a lot, though, isn't it? If you think about the profile of the Chinese, I typically like risk. It's why IPOs have been so interesting for a lot of Chinese investors for decades. The property market was interesting because you had speculators in there. You had large size gains, large returns potentially in some areas. This has changed. We're not seeing the returns now. We're seeing declines. But just getting back on a stable foothold, that's not going to be enough, is it? We need to still see those large increases to draw in the property speculators. Yeah, I, I agree, you know, to inspire that animal spirit, you probably need a certain level of asset price bubble in the major, ci major cities. So we say there are three stages for a potential property stimulus. Stage one, we need to see the policy campaign, a policy package. Then stage two, we need to follow the physical market in top tier cities, right? The volumes need to recover first and then price. Then for it to turn out to, you know, stage three in terms of broader wealth effect, consumer confidence, animal spirit, upstream, downstream impact, it will be a stage three story. So for property stimulus, it will probably quite be a quite bumpy road and investors will probably remain skeptical, you know, investor for both of the, the, the physical market and the stock market. So even if they launch the property even stimulus, we are likely to see a choppy trade with a lot of volatilities. 
Let me get into uh, some of the big stocks in your backyard, and that is really Country Garden, the one that's been effectively taking the headlines after suspending trading in its uh, mainland bonds, uh, a number of those bonds, about 10 of them earlier this week. What's the fallout been for the sector? How do we think about how the Country Garden story rolls on from here? Yeah, uh, we generally don't come, come, come on single stocks, but I think the significance is that, you know, um, Previously, when Evergrande was uh, was uh, was defaulting, people think you know because it's a badly managed company with very high leverage, exceeded regulatory red lines. So it's kind of understandably it's a mismanaged company. But when the issue further spread out to you know companies that's not perceived as badly run or mismanaged or over levered, this probably showed something more at you know, industry sector level, and this could be more concerning. So, you know, it's not less about individual companies now. It's more about, you know, what where is the line to draw and when will the deterioration or the downward spiral stops, right? And I think currently it hasn't stopped yet, right? Even the macro number, we are still seeing sequential decline in the past few months. Property market, we see sequential declining prices, and the cash flow of the developer sector is not getting better or it's getting worse. So that's what's more concerning for the market. People don't know where is the floor. Quick one from me, Winnie, at the end. Who's buying the market at the moment? Is it support from uh, institutions who are getting a nod and a wink from the state, or actually are the retail investors getting quite excited domestically, or dare I say, at the international buyers? Who, who do you think is driving it? Yeah, I mean, you know, for the onshore offshore market are different, right? Offshore market, uh, ADRs, H shares, we still seeing the swing factor of some of the so-called tourist money, right? Macro fund, the US hedge fund, some of them do did turn more bullish post the Polybureau meeting, partly from a top-down position valuation perspective, you know, US is being played out, some of the AI seems Japan's being played out, EM a big laggard. If China's willing to do a, a, a strong stimulus or some pivoting in policy, there might be a catch-up trade there. So offshore market, we still seeing the driver from you know these uh, global fund, whereas onshore market is more driven by domestic sentiment. And currently, I don't think the sentiment has improved enough. Winnie, thank you very much for joining us today. Winnie Wu, Chief China Equity Strategist at Bank of America Global Research. Coming up on the show, Home Depot kicks off retailer earnings for this week with Target now up next. We'll break down the numbers. Plus, British insurer Aviva posts half-yearly results at the top of the next hour. We'll be speaking to the CEO, Amanda Blank, shortly after. And at 7am London time, we get the latest read on UK inflation, with the CNBC team making their own forecast. <laughs> we'll get reaction to the CPI print later oh. this morning from the UK Treasury Exchequer Secretary, Gareth Davies. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com.
Uh, welcome back. VinFast stock soared in light trading on its Nasdaq debut. Shares in the Vietnamese EV startup opened at 22 bucks versus $10 agreed with its SPAC partner. We don't say the word SPAC very much anymore, do we? Uh, partner Black Spade Acquisition. Uh, that had valued it at $23 billion. Uh, the company says it expects to raise funds from global investors within 18 months. Just on the numbers on this one, you know the market valuation, $85 billion, much higher than the valuation of Ford and General Motors, uh, Ford at $48 billion, GM at $46 billion. Yeah. So at $85 billion, if you think there's no signs of excess in the market, take a look at this story. Uh, the company are yet to make a profit, of course. And oh. we're talking about a play out of Vietnam. Do you know any Vietnamese car makers? Uh, no, but I know Vietnamese hot. Vietnamese hot because, of course, you know, there's the, 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 the French shoring story, the lower cost of production story, the it's not China story yeah. as well. Add that to EV, and I'm sure they mentioned AI somewhere in their release as well. And, and there you go, up 254%, a mere 254%. It reminds me of the listings, early listings of China companies coming to the New York Stock Exchange and to the NASDAQ. Uh, you finally have one from a hot area that has all those themes around the geopolitics and uh, the stock uh, shoots up. Uh, another one uh, in the same vein is Carver Group. We talked about this one on its listing. This is the uh, Mediterranean restaurant chain, isn't it? Uh, posted a profitable quarter for its first earnings report since going public in June. Second quarter net sales at the aforementioned Mediterranean restaurant chain soared 62% to $172.9 million, driven by new restaurant openings. Carver's stock surged as much as 12% in extended trading. And on a programming note, the Carver CEO is Brett Shulman, and uh, he will be joining our colleagues stateside. That's the first on CNBC interview at 1400 Central European time. Home Depot has reconfirmed its lower annual sales forecast after second quarter results beat expectations. It posted a 2% sales decline on the year, but beat revenue expectations for the first time in three quarters with $42.9 billion. The home improvement retailer benefited from steady demand for small-scale projects, but warned of shifting spending patterns from goods to services. There are more retail results uh, to roll out this week as investors look for insights into the health of the U.S. consumer. Target reports before the bell today, and then Walmart uh, is on the ticket tomorrow. Target is expected to boost its uh, post its first quarterly drop in revenue in about six years after the company warned of sluggish sales in the last set of numbers as consumers buy fewer discretionary items. Just a, a quick line here. Uh, you saw, again, more caution on those large ticket items and discretionary spending. Important to see that transportation costs have come down. This line I thought was fascinating from uh, the Home Depot boss. Uh, the CFO was saying that vendors are not coming to Home Depot with as many requests for price increases. Surely that is welcome as we talk about abating price pressures. Yeah, absolutely. Although I notice, of course, energy costs have uh, started to tick up again. And that'd be interesting. And uh, a challenge on some of the assumptions that people have about lower for longer on core inflation. And dare I say it, on headline as well. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.